Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Part 3 of Book 3 of The History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Book 3, Part 3. Who this king should be hath bred much question. Some think it to be the British name of Ambrose, others to be the right name of his brother, who, for the terror of his eagerness in fight, became more known by the surname of Uther, which in the Welsh tongue signifies dreadful. And if ever such a king in Britain there was as Uther Pendragon, for so also the Monmouth book surnames him, this in all likelihood must be he. Kerdick, by so great a blow given to the Britons, had made large room about him, not only for the men he brought with him, but for such also of his friends as he desired to make great, for which cause, and with all the more to strengthen himself, his two nephews, Stuff and Withgar, in three vessels, bring him new levies to Kerdick shore. Note, post-Christ 514, returned text who that they might not come sluggishly to possess what others had won for them, either by their own seeking or by appointment, are set in a place where they could not but at their first coming give proof of themselves upon the enemy. And so well they did it, that the Britons, after a hard encounter, left them masters of the field. About the same time Ella, the first South Saxon king, died, whom Kissa, his youngest son, succeeded, the other two failing before him. Nor can it be much more or less than about this time, for it was before the West Saxon kingdom, that Offa, the eighth from Woden, made himself king of the East Angles, who by their name testify the country above mentioned, from whence they came in such multitudes that their native soil is said to have remained in the days of Beda uninhabited. Huntington defers the time of their coming in to the ninth year of Curdick's reign, for, saith he, at first many of them strove for principality, seizing every one his province, and for some while so continued, making petty wars among themselves, till in the end Uffa, of whom these kings were called Uffings, overtopped them all in the year 571. Then Titulus, his son, the father of Redwall, who became potent. And not much after the East Angles began also the East Saxons to erect a kingdom under Sleda, the tenth from Odin. But Huntington, as before, will have it registered, and no more than barely registered, in annals later by eleven years, and Erkenwind be the first king. Kerdick, the same in power, though not so fond of title, forbore the name of king twenty-four years after his arrival. But then founded so firmly the kingdom of the West Saxons, note, post-Christ, 519, returned to text, that it subjected all the rest at length, and became the sole monarchy of England. The same year he had a victory against the Britons at Curtick's Ford, by the river Avon, and after eight years another great fight at Curtick's Lead, 
but which army won the day is not by any writer set down hitherto has been collected what there is of certainty with circumstances of time and place to be found registered and no more than barely registered in annals of best note without describing after huntington the manner of those battles and encounters which they who compare and can judge of books may be confident he never found in any current author whom he had to follow but this disease hath been incident to many more historians and the age whereof we now write hath had the ill hap more than any since the first fabulous times to be surcharged with all the idle fancies of posterity yet that we may not rely altogether on saxon relators gildas in antiquity far before these and every way more credible speaks of these wars in such a manner though nothing conceited of the british valour as declares the saxons in his time and before to have been foiled not seldomer than the britons for besides that first victory of ambrose and the interchangeable success long after he tells us that the last overthrow which they received at Baden hill was not the least which they in their oldest annals mention not at all and because the time of this battle by any who could do more than guess is not set down or any foundation given from whence to draw a solid compute it cannot be much wide to insert it in this place for such authors as we have to follow give the conduct and praise of this exploit to arthur and that this was the last of twelve great battles which he fought victoriously against the saxons the several places written by nennius in their welsh names were many hundred years ago unknown and so are here omitted but who arthur was and whether ever any such person reigned in britain hath been doubted heretofore and may again with good reason for the monk of malmesbury and others whose credit hath swayed most with the learned sort we may well proceed to have known no more of this arthur five hundred years past nor of his doings than we now living and what they had to say transcribed out of nennius a very trivial writer yet extant which hath already been related or out of a british book the same which he of monmouth set forth utterly unknown to the world till more than six hundred years after the days of arthur of whom as sigebert in his chronicle confesses all other histories were silent both foreign and domestic except only that fabulous book others of later time have sought to assert him by old legends and cathedral regists but he who can accept of legends for good story may quickly swell a volume of trash and had need be furnished with two only necessaries leisure and belief whether it be the writer or he that shall read as to arthur no less is in doubt who was his father for if it be true as nennius or his noticed avers that arthur was called mabuther that is to say a cruel son for the fierceness that men saw in him as a child and the intent of his name arturus imports as much it might well be that some in after ages who sought to turn him into a fable wrested the word uther into a proper name and so feigned him the son of uther since we read not in any certain story that ever such person lived till geoffrey of monmouth set him off with the surname of pendragon 
and as we doubted of his parentage so may we also of his puissance for whether that victory at baden hill were his or no is uncertain gildas not naming him as he did ambrose in the former next if it be true as caradoc relates that melvis king of that country which is now called somerset kept him from guinevere's wife a whole year in the town of glaston and restored her at the entreaty of gildas rather than for any enforcement that arthur with all his chivalry could make against a small town defended only by a moory situation had either his knowledge in war or the force he had to make been answerable to the fame they bear that petty king would not have dared to put such an affront upon him nor he have been so long and at last without effect in revenging it considering lastly how the saxons gained upon him everywhere all the time of his supposed reign which began as some write in the tenth year of Curdic, note post christ five twenty nine returned the text who wrung from him by long war the countries of somerset and hampshire there will remain neither place nor circumstance in story which may administer any likelihood of any of these great acts that are ascribed to him this only is acknowledged by nennius in arthur's behalf that the saxons though vanquished never so oft grew still more numerous upon him by continual supplies out of germany and the truth is that valour may be overtoiled and overcome at last with endless overcoming but as for this battle of mount baden where the saxons were hemmed in or besieged whether by arthur one or whensoever it seems indeed to have given a most undoubted and important blow to the saxons and to have stopped their proceedings for a good while after gildas himself witnessing that the britons having thus compelled them to sit down with peace fell thereupon to civil discord among themselves which words may seem to let in some light toward the searching out when this battle was fought and we shall find no time since the first saxon war from whence a longer peace ensued than from the fight at Curdic's league in the year five hundred and twenty seven which all the chronicles mention without victory to Curdic, and give us argument from the custom they have of magnifying their own deeds upon all occasions to presume here is ill-speeding and if we look still onward even to the forty-fourth year after wherein gildas wrote if his obscure utterance be understood we shall meet with every little war between the britons and saxons this only remains difficult that the victory first won by ambrose was not so long before this at baden siege but that the same men living might be eyewitnesses of both and by this rate hardly can the latter be thought won by arthur unless we reckon him a grown youth at least in the days of ambrose and much more than a youth if malmesbury be heard who affirms all the exploits of ambrose to have been done chiefly by arthur as his general which will add much unbelief to the common assertion of his reigning after ambrose and uther especially the fight of baden being the last of his twelve battles but to prove by that which follows that the fight at Curdic's league though it differ in name from that of baden may be thought the same by all effect Curdic, three years after note post christ five thirty return to text not proceeding onward as his manner was on the continent turns back his forces on the isle of wight which with the slaying of a few only in withgarborough he soon masters and not long surviving 
left it to his nephews by the mother's side, Stuff and Withgar. Note, post-Christ 534, return to text. The rest of what he had subdued, Kenrick his son held, and reigned twenty-six years, in whose tenth year Withgar was buried in the town of that island which bore his name. Note, post-Christ 554, return to text. Notwithstanding all these unlikelihoods of Arthur's reign and great achievements, in a narration crept in I know not how among the laws of Edward the Confessor, Arthur, the famous king of Britons, is said not only to have expelled hence the Saracens, who were not then known in Europe, but to have conquered Friesland, and all the north-east isles as far as Russia, to have made Lapland the eastern bound of his empire, and Norway the chamber of Britain. When should this be done? From the Saxons, till after twelve battles he had no rest at home. After those, the Britons, contented with the quiet they had from their Saxon enemies, were so far from seeking conquests abroad, that by the report of Gildas above cited they fell to civil wars at home. Surely Arthur would have done much better to have made war in old Saxony, to repress their flowing hither, than to have won kingdoms as far as Russia, when he was scarce able here to defend his own. Buchanan, our neighbour historian, reprehends him of Monmouth and others for fabling in the deeds of Arthur. Yet what he writes there of himself as of better credit, shows not whence he had it but from those fables, which he seems content to believe in part, on condition that the Scots and Picts may be thought to have assisted Arthur in all his wars and achievements, whereof appears as little ground by credible story as of that which he most counts fabulous. But not further to contest about such uncertainties, I will now go on with the history. In the year 547, Ida the Saxon, sprung also from Woden in the tenth degree, began the kingdom of Bernicia in Northumberland, built the town of Bebenburg, which was after walled, and had twelve sons, half by wives and half by concubines. Hengist, by leave of Vortigern, we may remember, had sent Octave and Ibissa to seek them seats in the north, and there, by warring on the Picts, to secure the southern parts which they so prudently effected that what by force and fair proceeding they well quieted those countries and though so far distant from kent nor without power in their hands yet kept themselves nigh a hundred and eighty years within moderation and as inferior governors they and their offspring gave obedience to the kings of kent as to the elder family till at length following the example of that age when no less than kingdoms were the prize of every fortunate commander, they thought it but reason, as well as others of their nation, to assume royalty, of whom Ida was the first, a man in the prime of his years, and of parentage such as we have heard. But how he came to wear the crown, whether by his own aspiring ambition, or by the free choice of his followers or subjects, is not said. Certain enough it is that his virtues made him not less noble than his birth in war undaunted and unfoiled, in peace, tempering the awe of magistracy with a natural mildness, he reigned about twelve years. Note, post-Christ 552, return to text. In the meantime, while Kenrick, in a fight near Serisburg, now Salisbury, killed and put to flight many of the Britons, 
and the fourth year after at Berenbury, now Banbury as something, note post Christ five fifty three return to text, with Cowlin, his son, put them again to flight. Cowlin, shortly after, succeeded his father in the West Saxons, and Alla, descended also from Woden but of another line, set up a second kingdom in Dera, the south part of Northumberland. Note post Christ five sixty return to text and held it thirty years, while Ada, the son of Ida, and five more after him, reigned without other memory in Bernicia, and in Kent, Ethelbert, the next year began. Note, post-Christ 561, return to text. But Eska, the son of Hengist, had left Otha, and he, Emmerich, to rule after him, both which, without adding to their bounds, kept what they had in peace fifty-three years. But Ethelbert, in length of reign, equalled both the progenitors, and as Beda counts, three years exceeded. Note, post-Christ 568, turn to text. Young at his first entrance, and unexperienced, he was the first raiser of civil war among the Saxons, claiming from the priority of time wherein Hengist took possession here a kind of right over the later kingdoms, and thereupon was troublesome to their confines but by them twice defeated, he who but now thought to seem dreadful became almost contemptible. For Caroline and Cutha his son, pursuing him into his own territory, slew there in battle at Wibbenden two of his earls, Oslac and Kniven. By this means the Britons, but chiefly by this victory at Baden, for the space of forty-four years, ending in 571, received no great annoyance from the Saxons, but the peace they enjoyed, by ill-using it, proved more destructive to them than war. For being raised on a sudden by two such eminent successes from the lowest condition of thraldom, they whose eyes had beheld both those deliverances, that by Ambrose and this at Baden, were taught by the experience of either fortune, both kings, magistrates, priests, and private men, to live orderly. But when the next age, unacquainted with past evils, and only sensible of their present ease and quiet, succeeded, straight followed the apparent subversion of all truth and justice in the minds of most men. Scarce the least footstep or impression of goodness left remaining to all ranks and degrees in the land, except in some so very few as to be hardly visible in a general corruption which grew in short space not only manifest, but odious to all the neighboring nations, and first their kings, amongst whom also the sons and grandchildren of Ambrose were foully degenerated to all tyranny and vicious life, whereof to hear some particulars out of Gildas will not be impertinent. They avenge, saith he, and they protect, not the innocent, but the guilty. They swear oft, but perjure. They wage war, but civil and unjust war. They punish rigorously them that rob by the highway, but those grand robbers that sit with them at table they honor and reward. They give alms largely, but in the face of their alms deeds pile up wickedness to a far higher heap. They sit in the seat of judgment, but go seldom by the rule of right, neglecting and proudly overlooking the modest and harmless, but countenancing the audacious 
though guilty of abominable crimes. They stuff their prisons, but with men committed rather by circumvention than by any just cause. Nothing better with a clergy, but at the same pass, or rather worse than when the Saxons came first in, unlearned, unapprehensive, yet imprudent, subtle prowlers, pastors in name, but indeed wolves, intent upon all occasions not to feed the flock but to pamper and well-line themselves not called but seizing on the ministry as a trade not as a spiritual charge teaching the people not by sound doctrine but by evil example usurping the chair of peter but through the blindness of their own worldly lusts they stumble upon the seat of judas deadly haters of truth broachers of lies looking on the poor christian with eyes of pride and contempt but fawning on the wickedest rich men without shame great promoters of other men's alms with their set exhortations but themselves contributing ever least slightly touching the many vices of the age but preaching without end their own grievances as done to christ seeking after preferments and degrees in the church more than after heaven and so gained made it their whole study how to keep them by any tyranny yet lest they should be thought things of no use in their eminent places they have their niceties and trivial points to keep in awe the superstitious multitude but in true saving knowledge leave them still as gross and stupid as themselves bunglers at the scripture nay forbidding and silencing them that know, but in worldly matters, practised and cunning shifters, in that only art and simony, great clerks and masters, bearing their heads high, but their thoughts abject and low. He taxes them also as gluttonous, incontinent, and daily drunkards. And what shouldst thou expect from these poor laity, so he goes on, these beasts all belly, Shall these amend thee, who are themselves laborious in evil doings? Shalt thou see with their eyes, who see right forward nothing but gain? Leave them, rather, as bids our Saviour, lest ye fall both blindfold into the same perdition. Are all thus? Perhaps not all, or not so grossly. But what availed it Eli to be himself blameless while he connived at others that were abominable? Who of them hath been envied for his better life? Who of them hath hated to consort with these, or withstood their entering the ministry, or endeavoured zealously their casting out? Yet some of these, perhaps, by others, are legended for great saints. This was the state of government, this of religion among the Britons, in that long calm of peace which the fight of Baden Hill had brought forth. Whereby it came to pass, that so fair a victory came to nothing. Towns and cities were not re-inhabited, but lay ruined and waste. Nor was it long, ere domestic war breaking out wasted them more. For Britain, as at other times, had then also several kings, five of whom Gildas, living then in Armorica, at a safe distance, boldly reproves by name. First Constantine, fabled the son of Cador, Duke of Cornwall, Arthur's half-brother by the mother's side, who then reigned in Cornwall and Devon, a tyrannical and bloody king, polluted also with many adulteries. 
he got into his power two young princes of the royal blood, uncertain whether before him in right or otherwise suspected, and, after solemn oath given of their safety, the year that Gildas wrote, slew them with their two governors in the church, and in their mother's arms, through the abbot's cope, which he had thrown over them, thinking by the reverence of vesture to have withheld the murderer. These are commonly supposed to be the sons of Mordred, Arthur's nephew, said to have revolted from his uncle, giving him in a battle his death's wound, and by him after to have been slain. Which things, were they true, would much diminish the blame of cruelty in Constantine, revenging Arthur on the sons of so false a Mordred. In another part of Britain, but it is not expressed where, Aurelius Cononus was king. Him he charges also with adulteries, and parricide, cruelties worse than the former, to be a hater of his country's peace, thirsting after civil war and prey. His condition, it seems, was not very prosperous, for Gildas wished him, being now left alone, like a tree withering in the midst of a barren field, to remember the vanity and arrogance of his father and eldest brethren, who came all to untimely death in their youth. The third, reigning in Dumetia, or South Wales, was Vortipol, the son of a good father. He was, when Gildas wrote, grown old, not in years only, but in adulteries, and in governing, full of falsehood and cruel actions. In his latter days, putting away his wife, who died in divorce, he became, if we mistake not Gildas, incestuous with his daughter. The fourth was Kineglas, embrued in civil war. He also had divorced his wife, and taken her sister, who had vowed widowhood. He was a great enemy to the clergy, high-minded and trusting to his wealth. The last, but greatest of all in power, was Maglokin, and greatest also in wickedness. He had driven out or slain many other kings or tyrants, and was called the Island Dragon, perhaps having his seat in Anglesey, the profuse giver, a great warrior and of a goodly stature. While he was yet young, he overthrew his uncle, though in the head of a complete army, and took from him the kingdom. Then, touched with the remorse of his doings, not without deliberation, took upon him the profession of a monk, but soon forsook his vow, and his wife also, which for that vow he had left, making love to the wife of his brother's son, then living. Who, not refusing the offer, if she were not rather the first that enticed, found means both to dispatch her own husband and the former wife of Maglokin, to make her marriage with him the more unquestionable. Neither did he this for want of better instructions, having had the learnedest and wisest man reputed of all Britain for the institutor of his youth. Thus much, the utmost that can be learnt by truer story, of what passed among the Britons from the time of their useless victory at Baden to the time that Gildas wrote, that is to say, as may be guessed, from the year of Christ 527 to the year 571, is here set down altogether, not being capable of being reduced under any certainty of years. But now the Saxons, who for the most part all this while have been still, unless among themselves, began afresh to assault them, and ere long to drive them out of all which they had maintained on this side Wales. For Cuthulf, the brother of Cowlin, note, post-Christ 571, return to text, 
by a victory obtained in Bedford, now Bedford, took from them four good towns, Ligenburg, Eaglesburg, Bensington, now Benson, in Oxfordshire, and Ignisham, but outlived not many months his good success, and after six years more, note post-Christ 577 returned to text, Cowlin and Cuthwin his son gave them a great overthrow at Durham in Gloucestershire, slew three of their kings, Como, Condodon, and Farinmail, and took three of their chief cities, Gloucester, Cisiter, and Bedensister. The Britons, notwithstanding, after some space of time, note post-Christ 584, return to text, judging to have outgrown their losses, gather to a head and encounter Cowlin, with Cutha his son, at Fethenleigh, whom valiantly fighting they flew among the thickest and as is said forced the saxons to retire but cowlin reinforcing the fight put them to a main rout and following his advantage took many towns and returned laden with rich booty the last of those saxons who raised their own achievements to a monarchy was crida much about this time first founder of the mercian kingdom drawing also his pedigree from Woden, of whom all to write the several genealogies, though it might be done without long search, were in my opinion to encumber the story with a sort of barbarous names, to little purpose. This may suffice, that of Woden's three sons, from the eldest issued Hengist and his succession, from the second the kings of Mercia, from the third all that reigned in West Saxony, and most of the Northumbers, of whom Allah was one, the first king of Dera, which after his death the race of Ida seized, and made it one kingdom with Bernicia. Note, post-Christ 588, return to text, usurping the childhood of Edwin, Allah's son, whom Ethelric, the son of Ida, expelled. Notwithstanding others write of him, that from a poor life and beyond hope in his old age, coming to the crown, he could hardly by the access of a kingdom have overcome his former obscurity had not the fame of his son preserved him once more the britons note post christ 588 returned to text ere they quitted all on this side the mountains forgot not to show some manhood for meeting cowlin in wodensworth that is to say at woden's mount in wiltshire note post christ 592 returned to text whether it were by their own forces or assisted by the Angles, whose hatred Cowlin had incurred, they ruined the whole army and chased them out of his kingdom. From whence flying, he died the next year in poverty, who a little before was the most potent and indeed sole king of all the Saxons on this side Humber. But who was chief among the Britons in this exploit had been worth remembering whether it was Maglokin, of whose prowess hath been spoken, or Tudric, king of Glamorgan, whom the regist of Landaf recounts to have been always victorious in fight, to have reigned about this time, and at length to have exchanged his crown for an hermitage, till, in the aid of his son Moric, whom the Saxons had reduced to extremes, taking arms again, he defeated them at ten turn by the river Wye, but himself received a mortal wound. Note, post-Christ 593, return to text. The same year with Cowlin, whom Caola, the son of Cothel, Cowlin's brother, succeeded. 
Crida, also the Mercian king deceased, in whose room Wibba succeeded, and in Northumberland, Ethelfrid, in the room of Ethelric, who had reigned there twenty-four years. Thus omitting fables, we have the view of what with reason can be relied on for truth, done in Britain since the Romans forsook it, wherein we have heard the many miseries and desolations brought by the divine hand on a perverse nation, driven, when nothing else would reform them, out of a fair country into a mountainous and barren corner by strangers and pagans. So much more tolerable in the eye of heaven is infidelity professed than Christian faith and religion dishonoured by unchristian works. Yet they also at length renounced their heathenism, which, how it came to pass, will be the matter next related. End of the third book of Milton's History of Britain Recording by Thomas Copeland The Fourth Book of the History of Britain by John Milton this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. The History of Britain, the Fourth Book. The Saxons, grown up now to seven absolute kingdoms, and the latest of them established by succession, finding their power arrive well nigh at the utmost of what was to be gained upon Britons, and as little fearing to be displanted by them, had time now to survey at leisure one another's greatness which quickly bred among them either envy or mutual jealousies, till the West Kingdom, at length grown overpowerful, put an end to all the rest. Meanwhile, above others, Ethelbert of Kent, who by this time had well ripened his young ambition, with more ability of years and experience in war, but before he attempted to his loss, now successfully attains, and by degrees brought all the other monarchies between Kent and Humble to be at his devotion, to which design the kingdom of West Saxons, being the firmest of them all, at that time sore shaken by their overthrow at Woden's birth and the death of Cowlin, gave him no doubt a main advantage. The rest yielded not subjection, but as he earned it by continual victories. But to win him the more regard abroad, he marries Bertha, the French king's daughter, though a Christian and with this condition to have the free exercise of her faith under the care and instruction of Letardus, a bishop, sent by her parents along with her, the king notwithstanding, and his people retaining their old religion. Beda, how to Gildas, lays it sadly to the Britons' charge that they never would vouchsafe their Saxon neighbours the means of conversion. But how far to blame they were, and what hope there was, of converting in the midst of so much hostility, or at least falsehood, from their first arrival, is not now easy to determine. Howbeit, not long after, they had the Christian faith preached to them by a nation more remote, and, as report went, counted old in Beda's time, upon this occasion. The Northumbrians had a custom at that time, and many hundred years after not abolished, to sell their children for a small value to any foreign land, of which number two comely youths were brought to Rome, whose fair and honest countenances invited Gregory, archdeacon of that city, among others that beheld them, pitying their condition, to demand whence they were. It was answered, by some who stood by, that they were Angli of the province Dera, 
subjects to Allah, king of Northumberland, and by religion pagans, which last Gregory deploring, framed on a sudden this allusion to the three names he heard, that the Angli, so like to angels, should be snatched de ira, that is, from the wrath of God, to sing hallelujah, and forthwith obtaining license of Benedict the Pope, would have come and preached here among them, had not the Roman people, whose love endured not the absence of so vigilant a pastor over them, recalled him, then on his journey, though he did not abandon, but only deferred for a while his pious intention. Note, post-Christ 596, return to text. For some years after succeeding to the papal seat, and now in his fourth year, admonished Seth Beda by divine instinct, he sent Augustine, whom he had designed for bishop of the English nation, and other zealous monks with him, to preach to them the gospel, who, being now on their way, discouraged by some reports, or their own carnal fear, sent back Austin in the name of all, to beseech Gregory that they might return home, and not be sent a journey so full of hazard to a fierce and infidel nation, whose tongue they understood not. Gregory, with pious and apostolic persuasion, exhorts them not to shrink back from so good a work, but cheerfully to go on in the strength of divine assistance. The letter itself, yet extant among our writers of ecclesiastic story, I omit here, as not professing to relate of those matters more than what mixes aptly with civil affairs. The abbot Austin, for so he was ordained over the rest, re-encouraged by the exhortations of Gregory and his fellows by the letter which he brought them, came safe to the Isle of Fennet. Note, post-Christ, 597. Return to text. In number about forty, besides some of the French nation whom they took along as interpreters. Ethelbert the king, to whom Austin at his landing had sent a new and wondrous message, quote, that he came from Rome to proffer heaven and eternal happiness in the knowledge of another god than the Saxons knew, unquote, appoints them to remain where they had landed, and necessaries to be provided them, consulting in the meantime what was to be done. And after certain days, coming into the island, chose a place to meet them under the open sky, possessed with an old persuasion that all spells, if they should use any to deceive him, so it were not within doors, would be unavailable. They, on the other side, called to his presence, advancing for their standard a silver cross and the painted image of our Saviour, came slowly forward, singing their solemn litanies which wrought in Ethelbert more suspicion, perhaps, that they used enchantments. Till, sitting down as the king willed them, they there preached to him and all in that assembly the tidings of salvation, whom, having heard attentively, the king thus answered, quote, Fair indeed and ample are the promises which ye bring, and such things as have the appearance in them of much good. Yet, such as, being new and uncertain, I cannot easily assent to, quitting a religion which my ancestors, with all the English nation, so many years I have retained. Nevertheless, because ye are strangers, and have endured so long a journey to impart us the knowledge of things which I persuade me you believe to be the truest and the best, ye may be sure we shall not recompense you with any molestation, but shall provide, rather, how we may friendliest entertain ye. 
nor do we forbid you to gain whom you can by preaching to your belief. Unquote. And accordingly, their residence he allotted them in Dorothurn, or Canterbury, his chief city, and made provision for their maintenance, with free leave to preach their doctrine where they pleased. By which, and by the example of their holy life, spent in prayer, fasting, and continual labor in the conversion of souls, they won many, on whose bounty and the king's, receiving only what was necessary, they subsisted. There stood without the city on the east side an ancient church built in honor of St. Martin, while yet the Romans remained here, in which Bertha the Queen went out usually to pray. Note, Post-Christ 598, return to text. Here they also began first to preach, baptize, and openly to exercise divine worship. But when the king himself, convinced by their good life and miracles, became Christian and was baptized, which came to pass in the very first year of their arrival, then multitudes daily conforming to their prince thought it an honor to be reckoned among those of his faith, to whom Ethelbert indeed principally showed his favor, but compelled none. For so he had been taught by them who were both the instructors and authors of his faith, quote, that Christian religion ought to be voluntary, not compelled. Unquote. About this time, Kelwolf, the son of Cutha, Calvin's brother, reigned over the West Saxons. Note, post Christ 601. Return to text. After his brother Caola, or Kelric, and had continual war, either with English, Welsh, Picts, or Scots. But Austin, whom with his fellows, Ethelbert had now endowed with a better place for their abode in the city, and other possessions necessary to livelihood, crossing into France, was by the Archbishop of Arles, at the appointment of Pope Gregory, ordained Archbishop of the English, and returning, sent to Rome Lawrence and Peter, two of his associates, to acquaint the Pope of his good success in England and to be resolved of certain theological, or rather Levitical, questions, with answers to which, not proper in this place, Gregory sends also to the great work of converting, that went on so happily, a supply of laborers, Meletus, Justus, Paulinus, Rufinian, and many others, who what they were may be guessed by the stuff which they brought with them, vessels and vestments for the altar, copes, relics, and for the Archbishop Austin, a pall to say mass in. To such a rank superstition that age was grown, though some of them yet retaining an emulation of apostolic zeal. Lastly, to Ethelbert they brought a letter with many presents. Austin, thus exalted to archiepiscopal authority, recovered from the ruins and other profane uses a Christian church in Canterbury, built of old by the Romans, which he dedicated by the name of Christ's Church, and, joining to it, built a seat for himself and his successors, a monastery also near the city eastward, where Ethelbert, at his motion, built St. Peter's, and enriched it with great endowments, to be a place of burial for the archbishops and kings of Kent. So quickly did they step up into fellowship of honor with kings." While thus Ethelbert and his people had their minds intent on religion, Ethelfrid, the Northumbrian king, was not less busied in far different affairs. For being altogether warlike and covetous of fame, he more wasted the Britons than any Saxon king before him, 
winning from them large territories which either he made tributary or planted with his own subjects note post christ 603 return to text whence edun king of those scots that dwelt in britain jealous of his successes came against him with a mighty army to a place called Degsasta, but in the fight losing most of his men himself with a few escaped only tybald the king's brother and the whole wing which he commanded being unfortunately cut off made the victory to ethelfrid less entire yet from that time no king of scots in hostile manner durst pass into britain for a hundred and more years and what some years before kelwulf the west saxon is annaled to have done against the scots and picts passing through the land of ethelfrid a king so potent unless in his aid and alliance is not likely buchanan writes as if ethelfrid assisted by cowlin whom he mistitles king of east saxons had a battle before this time with aden wherein cutha cowlin's son was slain but cutha as above written from better authority was slain in fight against the welsh twenty years before the number of christians began now note post christ six hundred four return to text to increase so fast that augustine ordaining bishops under him two of his assistants melitus and justice sent them out both to the work of their ministry and melitus by preaching converted the east saxons over whom siebert the son of sleda by permission of ethelbert being born of his sister ritula then reigned whose conversion ethelbert to gratulate built them the great church of st paul in london to be their bishop's cathedral as justice also had his built at rochester and both gifted by the same king with fair possessions hitherto austin laboured well among infidels but not with like commendation soon after among christians for by means of ethelbert summoning the britain bishops to a place on the edge of worcestershire called from that time augustine's oak he requires them to conform with him in the same day of celebrating easter and many other points wherein they differed from the rites of rome which when they refused to do not prevailing by dispute he appeals to a miracle restoring to sight a blind man whom the britons could not cure at this something moved though not minded to recede from their own opinions without further consultation they request a second meeting to which came seven Briton bishops, with many other learned men, especially from the famous monastery of Bangor, in which were said to be so many monks, living all by their own labour, that being divided under seven rectors, none had fewer than three hundred. One man there was who stayed behind, a hermit by the life he led, who by his wisdom effected more than all the rest who went. Being demanded, for they held him as an oracle, how they might know Austin to be a man from God, that they might follow him, he answered, quote, that if they found him meek and humble, they should be taught by him, for it was likeliest to be the yoke of Christ, both what he bore himself and would have them bear. But if he bore himself proudly, that they should not regard him, for he was then certainly not of God, unquote they took his advice and hasted to the place of meeting whom austin being already there before them 
neither arose to meet nor received them in any brotherly sort but sat all the while pontifically in his chair whereat the britons as they were counselled by the holy man neglected him and neither hearkened to his proposals of conformity nor would acknowledge him for an archbishop and in the name of the rest denothus then abbot of bangor is said thus sagely to have answered him as to the subjection which you require be thus persuaded of us that in the bond of love and charity we are all subjects and servants to the church of god yea to the pope of rome and every good christian to help them forward both by word and deed to be the children of god other obedience than this we know not to be due to him whom you term the pope and this obedience we are ready to give both to him and to every christian continually besides we are governed under god by the bishop of carium who is to oversee us in spiritual matters to which austin thus presaging some say menacing replies since ye refuse to accept of peace with our brethren ye shall have war from your enemies and since ye will not with us preach the word of life to whom ye ought from their hands ye shall receive death this though writers agree not whether austin spake it as his prophecy or as his plot against the britons fell out accordingly for many years were not passed note post christ six hundred seven return to text when ethelfrid whether of his own accord or at the request of ethelbert incensed by austin with a powerful host came to westchester then called carlegia where being met by the british forces and both sides in readiness to give the onset he discerns a company of men not habited for war standing together in a place of some safety and by them a squadron armed whom having learnt upon some inquiry to be priests and monks assembled thither after three days fasting to pray for the good success of their forces against him therefore they first saith he shall feel our swords for they who pray against us fight heaviest against us by their prayers and are our most dangerous enemies and with that turns his first charge upon the monks brockmail the captain set to guard them quickly turns his back and leaves above twelve hundred monks to a sudden massacre whereof scarce fifty escaped but not so easy work found ethelfrid against another part of britons that stood in arms whom though at last he overthrew yet it was with slaughter nearly as great of his own soldiers to excuse austin of this bloodshed lest some might think it his revengeful policy beda writes that he was dead long before although if the time of his sitting archbishop be rightly computed to have been sixteen years he must have survived this action other just ground of charging him with this imputation appears not save what evidently we have from geoffrey of monmouth whose weight we know the same year Kelwulf made war on the south saxons bloody saith huntington to both sides but most to them of the south and four years after note post christ six eleven return to text dying left the government of the west saxons to kinegils and quichelm the sons of his brother Kerola. 
others as florent of worcester and matthew of westminster will have quichelm to have been the son of kenegils but admitted to reign with his father in whose third year note post christ six fourteen return to text they are recorded with joint forces or conduct to have fought against the britons in Beendoon, now binden in dorsetshire and to have slain of them about two thousand more memorable was the second year following note post christ six sixteen return to text by the death of ethelbert the first christian king of saxons and no less a favourer of all civility in that rude age he gave laws and statutes after the example of roman emperors which were written with the advice of his wisest counsellors but in the english tongue and were observed long after wherein his special care was to punish those who had stolen aught from church or churchman thereby showing how gratefully he received at their hands the christian faith which he no sooner did but his son eadbald took the course as fast to extinguish not only falling back into heathenism but that which heathenism was wont to abhor marrying his father's second wife then soon was perceived what multitudes for fear or countenance of the king had professed christianity returning now as eagerly to their old religion nor stayed the apostasy within one province but quickly spread over the east saxons occasioned there likewise or set forward by the death of their christian king Siebert, whose three sons of whom two are named sexted and seward refused in his lifetime to be brought to baptism and after his decease re-established the free exercise of idolatry nor so content they set themselves in despite to do some open profanation against the other sacrament of the lord's supper coming therefore into the church where mellitus the bishop was ministering they required him in abuse and scorn to deliver to them though they were unbaptized the consecrated bread and upon his refusal to comply with their request they drove him disgracefully out of their dominion who crossed forthwith into kent where things were in the same plight and thence into france with justice bishop of rochester but divine vengeance deferred not long the punishment of men so impious for eadbald vexed with an evil spirit fell often into foul pits of distraction and the sons of siebert in a fight against the west saxons perished with their whole army but eadbald within the year by an extraordinary means became penitent for when lawrence the archbishop and successor of austin was preparing to ship for france after justice and mellitus the story goes if it be worth believing that saint peter in whose church he spent the night before in watching and praying appeared to him and to make the vision more sensible gave him many stripes for offering to desert his flock at sight whereof the king to whom next morning he showed the marks of what he had suffered by whom and for what cause relenting and in great fear dissolved his incestuous marriage and applied himself to the christian faith more sincerely than before with all his people but the londoners addicted still to paganism would not be persuaded to receive again mellitus for their bishop and to compel them was not in his power thus note post christ six seventeen return to text much through all the south was troubled in religion as much were the north parts disquieted through ambition for ethelfred king of bernicia as was touched before having thrown edwin out of deira 
and joined that kingdom to his own, not content to have bereaved him of his right, whose known virtues and high parts gave cause of suspicion to his enemies, sends messengers to demand him of Redwall, king of the East Angles, under whose protection, after many years wandering obscurely through all the island, he had placed his safety. Redwald, though he had promised all defence to Edwin as to his suppliant, yet being tempted with continual and large offers of gold, and not contemning the puissance of Ethelfrid, yielded at length either to dispatch him or to give him into their hands. But being earnestly exhorted by his wife not to betray the faith and inviolable law of hospitality and refuge given, he at last prefers his first promise as the more religious, and not only refuses to deliver him up, but, since war was thereupon denounced, determines to be beforehand with the danger, and, with a sudden army raised, surprises Athelfrid, little dreaming of an invasion, and, in a fight near to the east side of the river Idol, on the Mercian border, now Nottinghamshire, slays him dissipating easily those few forces which he had got to march out over hastily with him, who yet, as a testimony of his fortune, not his valour, to be blamed, slew first, with his own hands, Rainer, the king's son. His two sons, Oswald and Oswald, by Acca, Edwin's sister, escaped into Scotland. By this victory, Redwald became so far superior to the other Saxon kings that Beda reckons him the next after Ella and Ethelbert, who, besides this conquest of the north, had likewise all on the hither side of the Humber at his obedience. He had formerly in Kent received baptism, but coming home and being persuaded by his wife, who still, it seems, was his chief counsellor to good or bad alike, relapsed into his old religion, yet not willing to forgo his new thought it not the worst way, lest perhaps he might err in either, for more assurance to keep them both, and in the same temple erected one altar to Christ, and another to his idols. But Edwin, as with more deliberation he undertook, and with more sincerity retained the Christian profession, so also in power and extent of dominion far exceeded all before him, subduing all, saith Beda, English or British, even to the isles then called Mevanian, Anglesey, and Man, settled in this kingdom by Redwald, he sought in marriage Edelberga, whom others call Tate, the daughter of Ethelbert, to whose ambassadors Eadbald, her brother, made answer that, quote, to wed their daughter to a pagan was not the Christian law, unquote. Edwin replied that, quote, to her religion he would be no hindrance, which with her whole household she might freely exercise, and, moreover, that if, when examined, it were found the better, he would embrace it, unquote. These ingenuous offers, opening so fair a way to the advancement of truth, are accepted. Note, post-Christ 625, return to text. And Paulinus, as a spiritual guardian, is sent along with the Virgin. He, being to that purpose made bishop by justice, omitted no occasion to plant the gospel in those parts, but with small success, till the next year Whichelm, at that time one of the two West Saxon kings, envious of the greatness which he saw Edwin growing up to, sent privily Eumerus, a hired swordsman, to assassinate him, who, under pretense of doing a message from his master, 
with a poisonous weapon stabs at edwin conferring with him in his house by the river derwent in yorkshire on an easter day which lilla one of the king's attendants at the instant perceiving with a loyalty that stood not then to deliberate abandoned his whole body to the blow which notwithstanding made passage through to the king's person with a wound not to be slighted the murderer encompassed now with swords and desperate for revenges his own fall with the death of another whom his poniard reached home paulinus omitting no opportunity to win the king from this belief obtained at length this promise from him that if christ whom he so magnified would give him to recover of his wound and victory of his enemies who had thus assaulted him he would then become christian in pledge whereof he gave his young daughter infled to be bred up in religion who with twelve others of his family on the day of pentecost was baptized and by that time well recovered of his wound to punish the author of so foul a fact he went with an army against the west saxons whom having quelled by war and of such as had conspired against him put some to death and pardoned others he returned home victorious and from that time worshipped no more his idols yet ventured not rashly into baptism but first took care to be instructed rightly in what he learnt examining and still considering with himself and others whom he held wisest though boniface the pope by large letters of exhortation both to him and his queen was not wanting to quicken his belief but while he still deferred and his deferring might seem now to have passed the maturity of wisdom to a faulty lingering paulinus by revelation as was believed coming to the knowledge of a secret which befell him strangely in the time of his troubles on a certain day went in boldly to him and laying his right hand on the head of the king asked him if he remembered what that sign meant the king trembling and in amaze rising up straight fell at his feet behold saith paulinus raising him from the ground god hath delivered you from your enemies and given you the kingdom as you desire perform now what long since you promised him to receive his doctrine which i now bring you and the faith which if you accept shall to your temporal felicity add eternal the promise claimed of him by paulinus how and wherefore made though savouring much of legend is thus related redwald as we heard before dazzled with the gold of ethelfrid or by his threatening overawed having promised to yield up edwin one of his faithful companions of which he had some few with him in the court of redwald but never shrunk from his adversity about the first hour of night comes in haste to his chamber and calling him forth for better secrecy reveals to him his danger offers him his aid to make his escape but that course not being approved as seeming dishonourable without more manifest cause to begin distrust towards one who had so long been his only refuge the friend departs edwin left alone without the palace gate full of sadness and perplexed thoughts discerns about the dead of night a man neither by countenance nor by habit to him known approaching towards him who after salutation asked him why at this hour when all others were at rest 
he alone so sadly sat waking on a cold stone edwin not a little misdoubting who it might be asked him again what his sitting within doors or without concerned him to know to whom he again think not that who thou art or why sitting here or what danger hangs over thee is to me unknown but what would you promise to that man whoever would befriend you out of all these troubles and persuade redwald to the like all that i am able answered edwin and he what if the same man should promise to make you greater than any english king hath been before you i should not doubt quoth edwin to be answerably grateful and what if to all this he would inform you saith the other in a way to happiness beyond what any of your ancestors have known would you hearken to his counsel edwin without stopping promised he would and the other laying his right hand on edwin's head when this sign said he shall next befall thee remember this time of night and this discourse to perform what thou hast promised and with these words disappearing he left edwin much revived but not less filled with wonder who this unknown person should be when suddenly the friend who had been gone all this while to listen further what was like to be decreed of edwin comes back and joyfully bids him rise to his repose for that the king's mind though for a while drawn aside was now fully resolved not only not to betray him but to defend him against all enemies as he had promised this was said to be the cause why edwin admonished by the bishop of a sign which had befallen him so strangely and as he thought so secretly arose to him with that reverence and amazement as to one sent from heaven to claim that promise of him which he perceived well was due to a divine power that had assisted him in his troubles to paulinus therefore he makes answer that the christian belief he himself ought by promise and intended to receive but would confer first with his chief peers and counsellors that if they likewise could be won all at once might be baptized they therefore being asked in council what their opinion was concerning the new doctrine and well perceiving which way the king inclined every one thereafter shaped his reply the chief priest speaking first discovered an old grudge he had against his gods for advancing others in the king's favour above him their chief priest another hiding his court compliance in a grave sentence commended the choice of certain before uncertain upon due examination to like purpose answered all the rest of his sages none openly dissenting from what was likely to be the king's creed whereas the preaching of paulinus could work no such effect upon them toiling till that time without success whereupon edwin renouncing heathenism became christian and the pagan priest offering himself freely to demolish the altars of his former gods made some amends for his teaching to adore them with edwin note post christ six twenty seven return to text his two sons osfrid and Infrid, born to him by quenburga daughter of Sethbeda of Carol, king of Mercia, in the time of his banishment, 
and with them most of the people both nobles and commons easily converted were baptized he with his whole family at york in a church hastily built up of wood the multitude most part in rivers northumberland thus christened paulinus crossing the river humber converted also the province of lindsay and blecca the governor of lincoln with his household in most of that city wherein he built a church of stone curiously wrought but of small continuance for the roof in beda's time uncertain whether by neglect or by enemies was down the walls only standing meanwhile in mercia kirrell a kinsman of wibber saith huntington not a son having long withheld the kingdom from penda with his son left it now at length to him in the fiftieth year of his age with whom kinegils and quichhelm the west saxon kings two years after note post christ six twenty nine return to text having by that time it seems recovered strength since the inroad made upon them by edwin fought at Zizister, then made a truce but edwin seeking every way to propagate the faith which with so much deliberation he had received persuaded erfwald the son of redwald king of east angles to embrace the same belief note post christ six thirty two return to text willingly or in awe is not known retaining under edwin the name only of king but erfwald not long survived his conversion having been slain in fight by rickbert a pagan whereby the people having lightly followed the religion of their king as lightly fell back to their old superstitions for above three years after edwin in the meanwhile to his faith adding virtue by the due administration of justice wrought such peace over all his territories that from sea to sea man or woman might have travelled in safety his care also was of fountains by the wayside to make them fittest for the use of travellers and not unmindful of regal state whether in war or in peace he had a royal banner carried before him but having reigned with much honour seventeen years he was at length by Cadwalle, or cadwallon king of the britons who with aid of the merchant penda had rebelled against him slain in a battle with his son osfrid at a place called hethfield and his whole army overthrown or dispersed in the year six hundred and thirty-three and the forty-seventh of his age in the eye of man worthy a more peaceful end his head brought to york was there buried in the church by him begun sad was this overthrow both to the church and state of the northumbrians for penda being a heathen and the british king though in name a christian yet in deeds more bloody than the pagan nothing was omitted of barbarous cruelty in the slaughter of sex or age kedwalla threatening to root out the whole nation though then newly christian for the britons and as Beda saith even to his days accounted saxon christianity no better than paganism and with them held as little communion from these calamities no refuge being left but flight Paulinus, taking with him Ethelberger the queen and her children, aided by Bassus, one of Edwin's captains, made escape by sea to Eadbald, king of Kent, who, receiving his sister with all kindness, made Paulinus bishop of Rochester, where he ended his days. After Edwin, 
the kingdom of Northumberland became divided as before, each rightful heir seizing his part. In De Ira, Oswick, the son of Elfric, Edwin's uncle, by profession Christian, and baptized by Paulinus. In Bernicia, Enfred, the son of Ethelfred, who all the time of Edwin, with his brother Oswald, and many of the young nobility, lived in Scotland exiled, and had been there taught and baptized. No sooner had they gotten each a kingdom, but both turned recreant, sliding back into their old religion, and both were the same year slain. Osric, by a sudden eruption of Kedwalla, whom he in a strong town had unadvisedly besieged, Infrid, seeking peace and inconsiderately with a few, surrendering himself. Cadwalla now ranged at will through both those provinces, using cruelly his conquest. Note, post-Christ 634, return to text. When Oswald, the brother of Infrid, with a small but Christian army, unexpectedly coming on, defeated and destroyed both him and his huge forces, which he boasted to be invincible by a little river running into Tyne near the ancient Roman wall, then called Dennisburg, the place afterwards called Heavenfield, from the cross, reported to be miraculous for cures, which Oswald there erected before the battle, in token of his faith against the great number of his enemies. Obtaining the kingdom, he took care to instruct again the people in Christianity. Sending, therefore, to the Scottish elders, he does so terms them, among whom he had received baptism, he requested of them some faithful teacher, who might again settle religion in his realm, which the late troubles had much impaired. They, as readily hearkening to his request, sent Aidan, a Scotch monk and bishop, but of singular zeal and meekness, with others to assist him, whom, at their own desire, he seated in Lindisfarne, at the episcopal seat, now Holy Island, and being the son of Ethelfred, by the sister of Edwin, as right heir, others failing, easily reduced both kingdoms of Northumberland, as before, into one, nor of Edwin's dominion lost any part, but enlarged it rather, over all the four British nations, Angles, Britons, Picts, and Scots, exercising regal authority. Of his devotion, humility, and alms deeds much is spoken that he disdained not to be the interpreter of Aden, preaching in Scotch or bad English, to his nobles and household servants, and had the poor continually served at his gate, after the promiscuous manner of those times. His meaning might be upright, but the manner, more ancient, of private or of church contribution, is doubtless more evangelical. End of Part 1 of the History of Britain by John Milton Recording by Thomas Copeland. Book Four, Part Two of the History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. About this time, the West Saxons, anciently called Gevisi, by the preaching of Barinus, a bishop whom Pope Honorius had sent, were converted to the faith with Kinigals their king. Him Oswald received out of the font, and his daughter in marriage. The next year, note post-Christ 635, return to text, Quichelm was baptized in Dorchester, but lived not to the year's end. 
the east angles also this year were reclaimed to the faith of christ which for some years past they had thrown off but sigebert the brother of erkwald now succeeded in that kingdom praised for a most christian and learned man who while his brother yet reigned living in france an exile with some displeasure conceived against him by redwald's father learned there the christian faith and reigning soon after in the same instructed his people by the preaching of felix a burgundian bishop in the year six hundred and forty eadbal deceasing left to urcumbert his son by emma the french king's daughter the kingdom of kent recorded the first of english kings who commanded through his limits the destroying of idols laudably if all idols without exception and the first to have established lent among us under strict penalty not worth remembering but only to inform us that no lent was observed here till his time by compulsion especially being noted by some to have fraudulently usurped upon his elder brother ermenred whose right was president to the crown oswald having reigned eight years note post christ 642 returned to text worthy also as might seem of longer life fell into the same fate with edwin and from the same hand in a great battle overcome and slain by penda at a place called Maserfield, now oswestry in shropshire miraculous as seth beda after his death his brother oswey succeeded him reigning though in much trouble twenty-eight years opposed either by penda or his own son alfred or his brother's son ethelwald next year note post christ six forty nine return to text kenegils the west saxon king dying left his son kenwalk in his stead though as yet unconverted about this time sigebert king of the east angles having learnt in france ere his coming to reign the manner of their schools with the assistance of some teachers out of kent instituted a school here after the same discipline thought to be the university of cambridge then first founded and at length weary of his kingly office betook him to a monastical life commending the care of government to his kinsman egric who had sustained him with part of that burden before it happened some years after that penda made war on the east angles they expecting a sharp encounter besought sigebert whom they esteemed an expert leader with his presence to confirm the soldiery and upon his refusal carried him by force out of the monastery into the camp where acting the monk rather than the captain with a single wand in his hand he was slain with egric and his whole army put to flight anna of the royal stock as next in right succeeded and has the praise of a virtuous and most christian prince but Kenwalk, the West Saxon, having married the sister of Penda, and divorced her, was by him, with more appearance of a just cause, vanquished in fight, and deprived of his crown. Whence, retiring to Anna, king of the East Angles, after three years abode in his court, note, post-Christ 648, return to text, he there became Christian, and afterwards regained his kingdom. Oswy, in the former years of his reign had admitted to a share of the government with him oswin nephew of edwin who ruled in deira 
seven years, who was commended much for his zeal in religion, and for the comeliness of his person, with other princely qualities, was beloved of all. Notwithstanding which, dissensions growing between them, it came to arms. Oswin, seeing himself much exceeded in numbers, thought it more prudent dismissing his army to reserve himself for some better occasion. But committing his person with one faithful attendant to the loyalty of Hunwald and Earl, his imagined friend, he was by him treacherously discovered and by command of Oswin slain. Note, post-Christ, 651, return to text. After whom, within twelve days, and for grief of him whose death he foretold, died Bishop Aidan, famous for his charity, meekness, and labor in the gospel. The fact of Oswy was detestable to all, which therefore to expiate, a monastery was built in the place where it was done, and prayers there daily offered up for the souls of both kings, the slain and the slayer. Kenwalk by this time reinstalled in his kingdom kept it long, but with various fortune, for Beda relates him oft times afflicted by his enemies, with great losses, and in 652 by the annals fought a battle, civil war, Ethelward calls it, at Brandenfort by the river Avenue against whom, and for what cause, or who had the victory, they write not. Camden names the place Bradford in Wiltshire, by the river Avon, and Cuthred, his near kinsman, against whom he fought, but cites no authority. Certain it is that Kenwalk four years before had given large possessions to his nephew Cuthred, the more unlikely, therefore, now to have rebelled. The next year, Note, post-Christ 653, return to text. Peter, whom his father Penda, though a heathen, had for his princely virtues made prince of middle ankles belonging to the Mercians, was with that people converted to the faith. For coming to Oswy with request to have in marriage Alfleda, his daughter, he was denied her but on condition that he, with all his people, should receive Christianity. Hearing therefore not unwillingly what was preached to him of resurrection and eternal life, much persuaded also by Alfred, the king's son, who had his sister Kinneberg to wife, he easily assented, for the truth's sake only, as he professed, whether he obtained the virgin or no, and was baptized with all his followers. Returning, he took with him four presbyters to teach the people of his province, who by their daily preaching won many. Neither did Penda, though himself no believer, prohibit any in his kingdom to hear or believe the gospel, but rather hated and despised those who, professing to believe, attested not their faith by good works, condemning them for miserable and justly to be despised, who obey not that God in whom they choose to believe. How well might Penda this heathen rise up in judgment against many pretended Christians both of his own and these days, Yet, being a man bred up to war, as no less were others then reigning, and oft-times one against another, though both Christians, he warred on Anna, king of the East Angles. Note, post-Christ, 654, return to text. Perhaps without cause, for Anna was esteemed a just man, and at length slew him. About this time, the East Saxons, who 
as above hath been said, had expelled their bishop Melitus and renounced the faith, were by the means of Oswy thus reconverted. Sigebert, surnamed the Small, being the son of Seward, without other memory of his reign, left his son king of that province, after him called Sigebert the Second, who coming often to visit Oswy as great friend, was by him at several times fervently dissuaded from idolatry, and, being prevailed on at length to forsake it, was there baptized. On his return home, taking with him Kedda, a laborious preacher, afterwards made a bishop, by whose teaching, with some help of others, the people were again recovered from misbelief. But Sigebert, some years after, though standing fast in religion, was by the conspiracy of two brethren in place near about him wickedly murdered, who, being asked, quote, what moved them to a deed so heinous, unquote, gave no other than this barbarous answer, quote, that they were angry with him for being so gentle to his enemies as to forgive them their injuries whenever they besought him. Unquote. That his death seems to have happened not without some cause by him given a divine displeasure. For one of those earls who slew him, living in unlawful wedlock, and therefore excommunicated so severely by the bishop that no man might presume to enter into his house, much less to sit at meat with him, the king, not regarding this church censure, went to feast with him at his invitation, whom the bishop meeting in his return, though penitent for what he had done and fallen at his feet, touched with the rod in his hand, and angrily thus foretold, Because thou hast neglected to abstain from the house of that excommunicate, in that house thou shalt die. And so it fell out, perhaps from that prediction. God bearing witness to his minister in the power of church discipline, spiritually executed, not juridically, on the contempt thereof. This year, 655, proved fortunate to Oswy and fatal to Penda. For Oswy, by the continual inroads of Penda having long endured much devastation, to the endangering once by assault and fire, Bebenberg, his strongest city, now Bamborough Castle, unable to resist him, with many rich presents offered to buy his peace, which not accepted by the pagan, who intended nothing but destruction to that king, though more than once in affinity with him, turning gifts into vows, he implores divine assistance, devoting, if he were delivered from his enemy, a child of one year old, his daughter, to be a nun, and twelve portions of land whereon to build monasteries. His vows, as may be thought, found better success than his proffered gifts, for hereupon, with his son Alfred, gathering a small power, he encountered and discomfited the Mercians, thirty times exceeding his in number, and led on by expert captains at a place called Laves, now Leeds in Yorkshire. Besides this, Ethelwald, the son of Oswald, who ruled in Deira, took part with the Mercians, but in the fight withdrew his forces, and in a safe place expected the event. With which unseasonable retreat the Mercians, perhaps terrified and misdoubting more danger, fled, many of their commanders, with Penda himself, being slain, among whom was Adelkir, the brother of Anna, who ruled after him the East Angles, and was the author of this war. 
and many more flying were drowned in the river, which Beda calls Windward, then swollen above its banks. The death of Penda, who had been the death of so many good kings, made general rejoicing as the song witnessed. At the river Windward, Anna was avenged. To Edelhir succeeded Ethelward, his brother, in the East Angles. To Sigebert, in the East Saxons, Swidhelm, the son of Sexbold, Seth Bede, the brother of Sigebert, Seth Malmesbury. He was baptized by Kedda, then residing in the kingdom of the East Angles, and by Ethelwald the king received out of the font. But Oswy, in the strength of his late victory, within three years after, note, post-Christ 658, returned text, subdued all Mercia, and of the Pictish nation, greatest part, at which time he gave to Peda, his son-in-law, the kingdom of South Mercia, divided from the northern by the river Trent. But Peda, the spring following, as was said, by the treason of his wife, the daughter of Oswy, married by him for a special Christian, on the feast of Easter, not protected by the holy time, was slain. Note, post-Christ 659, return to text. The Mercian nobles, Imin, Eba, and Edbert, throwing off the government of Oswy, set up Wulfer, the other son of Penda, to be their king, whom till then they had kept hid, and with him adhered to the Christian faith. Kenwalk, the West Saxon, now settled at home and desirous to enlarge his dominion, repairs against the Britons, joins battle with them at Penn in Somersetshire, and, overcoming, pursues them to Pedridon. Another fight he had with them before, at a place called Wittgernsburg, barely mentioned by the monk of Malmesbury. Nor was it long ere he fell at variance with Wolfer, the son of Penda, his old enemy, scarce yet warm in his throne, fought with him at Possensburg on the Easter holidays, note post-Christ 661, return to text, and, as Ethelward Seth, took him prisoner. But the Saxon annals, quite otherwise, say that Wolfer, winning the field, wasted the West Saxon country as far as Eskston, and not staying there, took and wasted the Isle of Wight, but causing the inhabitants to be baptized, who had till then been unbelievers, gave the island to Ethelwolf, king of the South Saxons, whom he had received out of the font. The year 664, a synod of Scottish and English bishops, in the presence of Oswy and Alfred his son, was held at a monastery in those parts to debate on what day Easter should be kept, a controversy which long before had disturbed the Greek and Latin churches, wherein the Scots not agreeing with the way of Rome, nor yielding to the disputants on that side to whom the king most inclined, such as were bishops here resigned and returned home with their disciples. Another clerical question was there, also much controverted, not so superstitious, in my opinion, as ridiculous, about the right shaving of crowns. The same year was seen an eclipse of the sun in May, followed by a sore pestilence beginning in the south, but spreading to the north, and over all Ireland, with great mortality, in which time the East Saxons, after Swithelm's decease, being governed by Sigurd, the son of Sigurd the Small, and Sebi of Seward, though both subject to the Mercians, Sigurd and his people, unsteady of faith, supposing that this plague was come upon them for renouncing their old religion, fell off the second time to infidelity, 
which the Mercian king Wolfer, understanding, sent Jeromanos, a faithful bishop, who, with other his fellow laborers, by sound doctrine and gentle dealing, soon recured them of their second relapse. In Kent, Ercombert, expiring, was succeeded by his son Eckbert, in whose fourth year, note post-Christ 668, the eight is illegible, return to text, by means of Theodore, a learned Greekish monk of Tarsus, whom Pope Vitalian had ordained Archbishop of Canterbury, the Greek and Latin tongue with other liberal arts, arithmetic, music, astronomy, and the like, began first to flourish among the Saxons, as did also the whole land, under potent and religious kings, more than ever before, as Peter affirms, till his own days. Two years after, note, post-Christ 670, return to text, in Northumberland died Oswy, much addicted to Romish rites, and resolved, had his disease released him, to have ended his days in Rome. Eckfrid, the eldest of his son's begotten wedlock, succeeded him. After other three years, note, post-Christ 673, return to text, Eckbert, in Kent deceasing, left nothing memorable behind him but the general suspicion to have slain or connived at the slaughter of his uncle's two sons, Elbert and Egelbright. In recompense whereof, he gave to the mother of them part of Tanet, wherein to build an abbey. The kingdom fell to his brother Lothair. And much about this time, by the best account it should be, however placed in Beda, that Eckfrid of Northumberland, having war with the Mercian Wolfer, won from him Lindsay, and the country thereabout. Sebi, having reigned over the East Saxons thirty years, not long before his death, though he had long before desired to do so, took on him the habit of a monk, and drew his wife at length, though unwilling, to the same devotion. Kenwalk, also dying, left the government to Sexburga, his wife, who outlived him in it but one year, having been driven out, saith Matthew of Westminster, spelled M-A-T period, W-E-S-T-M period, by the nobles disdaining female government, after whom several petty kings, as Beda calls them, for ten years' space divided the West Saxons. Note, post-Christ 673, return to text. Others named two, Esquin, the nephew of Kinegils, and Kentwin, the son, not petty by their deeds, for Esquin fought a battle with Wolfer, note, post-Christ 676, return to text, at Bedenhalde, and about a year after both deceased, but Wolfer, not without a stain left behind him of selling the bishopric of London to Winnie, the first Simonist we read of in this story. Kenwalk had before expelled him from his chair at Winchester. Ethelred, the brother of Wolfer, obtaining next the kingdom of Mercia, not only recovered Lindsay, and what besides in those parts Wolfer had lost to Eckfrid some years before, but found himself strong enough to extend his arms another way, as far as Kent, wasting that country without respect to church or monastery, much also in damaging the city of Rochester, notwithstanding what resistance Lothair could make against it. In August 678 was seen a morning comet for three months following, in manner of a fiery pillar, and the South Saxons about this time were converted to the Christian faith upon this occasion. 
Wilfrid, bishop of the Northumbrians, entering into contention with Eckfrid the king, was by him deprived of his bishopric, and long wandering up and down as far as Rome, no, post-Christ 679, returned text, returned at length into England, but not daring to approach the north whence he was banished, bethought him where he might to best purpose elsewhere exercise his ministry. The south, of all other Saxons, remained yet heathen, but Edelwalk, their king, not long before had been baptized in Mercia, persuaded by Wolfert, and by him, as hath been said, received out of the font. For which relation's sake, he had the Isle of Wight and a province of the Minari adjoining, given him on the continent, about Minasborough in Hampshire, which Wolfer had a little before gotten from Kenwalk. Thither Wilfred takes his journey, and with the help of other spiritual labourers about him, in short time planted there the gospel. It had not rained, as is said, of three years before in that country, whence many of the people daily perished by famine, till on the first day of their public baptism, soft and plentiful showers descending, restored all abundance to the summer following. Two years after this, note, post-Christ 681, return to text, Kentwin, the other West Saxon king above named, chased the Welsh Britons, as is chronicled without circumstance, to the very seashore. But in the year by Beda's reckoning 683, Cadwalla, a West Saxon of the royal line, whom the Welsh will have to be Cadwallader, last king of the Britons, thrown out by faction, returned from banishment, and invaded both Kentwin, if then living, or whoever else had divided the succession of Kenwalk, slaying in fight Edelwalk, the South Saxon, who opposed him in their aid, but soon after was repulsed by two of his captains, Bertune and Andune, who for a while held the province in their power. But Cadwalla, gathering new force, note, post-Christ 685, return to text, with the slaughter of Bertune, and also of Edric, the successor of Edelwalk, won the kingdom, but reduced the people to heavy thraldom. Then, addressing himself to conquer the Isle of Wight, the inhabitants of which till that time continued to be pagans, as Beda saith, though others say otherwise, as above hath been related, made a vow, though himself yet unbaptized, to devote the fourth part of that island, and the spoils thereof, to holy uses. Conquest obtained, paying his vow, as then was the belief, he gave his fourth to Bishop Wilfred, who was by chance there present, and the bishop gave it to Bertwin, a priest, his sister's son, with commission to baptize all the vanquished who meant to save their lives. But the two young sons of Arwald, king of that island, met with much more hostility, for they, at the enemy's approach, flying out of the isle, and being betrayed as to the place where they were hid, which was not far from thence, were led to Cadwalla, who lay then under cure of some wounds received, and by his appointment, after instruction and baptism first given them, were harshly put to death, which the youths are said with a courage above their age to have Christianly suffered. In Kent, Lothair died this year of his wounds received in the fight against the South Saxons, led on by Edric, who, descending from Ermenred, it seems, challenged the crown, and wore it, though not commendably, one year and a half. But coming to a violent death, note post-Christ 685, return 
context, left the land exposed a prey either to homebred usurpers or to neighboring invaders, among whom Cadwalla, taking advantage from their civil distempers and marching easily through the country of the South Saxons whom he had subdued, sorely harassed the country, which had of a long time been untouched by any hostile incursion. But the Kentish men, all parties uniting against a common enemy, with joint power so opposed him that he was constrained to retire back, his brother Mollo in the flight with twelve men in his company seeking shelter in a house was beset and therein burnt by the pursuers. Kedwalla, much troubled at so great a loss, recalling and soon rallying his disordered forces, returned fiercely upon the chasing enemy. Note, Post-Christ 686, return to text. Nor could he be got out of the province till both by fire and sword he had avenged the death of his brother. At length, note, Post-Christ 686, return to text, Victor, the son of Edward, attaining the kingdom, both settled at home all things in peace, and secured his borders from all outward hostility. While thus Cadwalla disquieted both west and east, after his winning the crown, Ecfrid the Northumbrian and Ethelred the Mercian fought a sore battle by the river Trent, wherein Elfwin, brother to Ecfrid, a youth of eighteen years, much beloved, was slain, and that accident being likely to occasion much more shedding of blood, peace was happily made up by the grave exhortation of Archbishop Theodore, a pecuniary fine only being paid to Eckford, as some satisfaction for the loss of his brother's life. Another adversity befell Eckford in his family, by means of Ethelreth, his wife, King Anna's daughter, who, having taken him for her husband, and professing to love him above all other men, persisted during twelve years in the obstinate refusal of his bed, thereby thinking to live the purer life. So perversely then was chastity instructed against the apostle's rule. At length, obtaining of him with much importunity her departure, she veiled herself a nun, and being then made abbess of Ely, died seven years after of the pestilence, and might with better warrant have kept faithfully her undertaken wedlock, though now canonized by the name of St. Audrey of Ely. In the meanwhile, Eckford had sent Bertus with the power to subdue Ireland, a harmless nation, saith Beda, and ever friendly to the English. In both which qualities they seem to have left a posterity much unlike them at this day. The inhabitants of Ireland, seeing their country to be miserably wasted by these invaders, without regard had to places hallowed or profane, they betook themselves partly to their weapons and partly to implore divine aid, and as was thought, obtained it in their full avengement upon Eckford, for he the next year, against the minded persuasion of his sagest friends, and especially of Cudbert, a famous bishop of that age, marching unadvisedly against the Picts, who long before had been subject to Northumberland, was by them, feigning flight, drawn unawares into narrow straits overtopped with hills, and cut off with most of his army. From which time, saith Bede, military valour began among the Saxons to decay. And not only the Picts, who had till then been peaceable, but some part of the Britons also, recovered by arms their liberty for many years after. Yet Alfred, 
elder but base, brother to Eckford, a man said to be learned in the scriptures, being recalled from Ireland, to which place in his brother's reign he had retired, and now succeeding him, upheld with much honour, though in narrower bounds, the residue of his kingdom. Cadwalla, having now with great disturbance of his neighbours, reigned over the West Saxons two years, besides what time he spent of gaining it, wearied, perhaps, with his own turbulence, went to Rome, desirous there to receive baptism, which till then his worldly affairs had caused him to defer. And accordingly, on Easter Day, 689, he was baptized by Sergius the Pope, and his name changed to Peter. All which notwithstanding, surprised with the disease, he outlived not the ceremony which he had so far sought much above the space of five weeks, but died there in the thirtieth year of his age, and in the church of St. Peter was there buried, with a large epitaph upon his tomb. Him succeeded Ina of the royal family, and from the time of his coming in for many years oppressed the land with like grievances, as Cadwalla had done before him insomuch that in those times there was no bishop among them. His first expedition was into Kent to demand satisfaction for the burning of Molo. Victred, loath to hazard all for the rash act of a few, delivered up thirty of those that could be found accessory, or, as others say, pacified Ina with a great sum of money. Meanwhile, at the incitement of Egbert, a devout monk, Wilbrod, a priest eminent for learning, passed over at sea, having twelve others in company, with intent to preach the gospel in Germany. Note, post-Christ 694, return to text. And coming to Pepin, chief regent of the Franks, who a little before had conquered the hither Frisia, by his countenance and protection, and with a promise also of many benefits to them who should believe, they found the work of conversion much the easier and Wilbrod obtained the first bishopric in that nation. But two priests, each of them Huel by name, and for distinction surnamed from the color of their hair, the black and the white, by his example piously affected to the souls of their countrymen, the old Saxons, at their coming thither to convert them met with much worse entertainment. For in the house of a farmer, who had promised to convey them as they desired to the governor of that country, being discovered by their daily ceremonies to be Christian priests, and the cause of their coming being suspected, they were by him and his heathen neighbors cruelly butchered, yet were not unavenged. For the governor, enraged at such violence offered to his strangers, sending armed men, slew all those inhabitants, and burnt their village. After three years, note post-Christ 697, Returned to text, in Mercia, Ostrid the queen, wife to Ethelred, was killed by her own nobles, as Beda's epitome records. Florence calls them Southumbrians, negligently omitting the cause of so strange a fact. And the year following, note post-Christ 698, returned to text, Bethred, a Northumbrian general, was slain by the Picts. Ethelred, seven years after the violent death of his queen, note, Christ 704, return to text, put on the monk and resigned his kingdom to Kenred, the son of Wolfer, his brother. The next year, note post Christ 705, return to text, 
Alfred in Northumberland died, leaving Osred, a child only eight years old, to succeed him. Four years after which, note post-Christ 709, return to text, Kenred, having a while with praise governed the Mercian kingdom, went to Rome in the time of Pope Constantine, and was shorn a monk, and in that condition spent there the residue of his days. Keldred succeeded him, the son of Ethelred, who had reigned the next before. With Kenred went Offa, the son of Sigurd, king of the East Saxons, and betook him to the same habit, leaving his wife and native country. A comely person in the prime of his youth, much desired of the people, and such was his virtue by report that he might have otherwise been worthy to have reigned. Ina, the West Saxon, one year after, note, post-Christ 710, return to text, fought a battle which was at first doubtful, but at last successful against Garant, king of Wales. The next year, note post-Christ 711, return to text, Bertfrid, another Northumbrian captain, fought with the Picts and slaughtered them, saith Hunterdon, to the full avengement of Ecfrid's death. The fourth year after, note, post-Christ 715, return to text, Ina had another doubtful and cruel battle at Woodnesburg in Wiltshire, with Kelred the Mercian, who died the year following a lamentable death. Note, post-Christ 716, return to text. For as he sat one day feasting with his nobles, suddenly possessed with an evil spirit, he expired in despair, as Boniface, Archbishop of Mentz, an Englishman, who taxes him for a defiler of nuns, writes by way of caution to Ethelbald, his next of kin, who succeeded him. Osred also, a young Northumbrian king, slain by his kindred in the eleventh of his reign, for his vicious life and incest committed with nuns, was by Kenred succeeded and avenged. He, reigning two years, left Osric in his room. Note, post-Christ 718, return to text. In whose seventh year, if Peter calculate right, Victred, king of Kent, deceased, having reigned thirty-four years, and some part of them with Swebard, as Beda testifies. Note, post-Christ 725, return to text. He left behind him three sons, Ethelbert, Edbert, and Alred, his heirs. Three years after which, note, post-Christ 728, return to text, appeared two comets about the sun, terrible to behold, the one before him in the morning, the other after him in the evening, for the space of two weeks in January, bending their blaze toward the north, at which time the Saracens furiously invaded France, but were expelled soon after with great overthrow. The same year, in Northumberland, Osric, dying or slain, adopted Kelwulf, the brother of Kenred, his successor, to whom Beda dedicates his story, but writes this only of him that the beginning and the process of his reign met with many adverse commotions, whereof the event was then doubtfully expected. Meanwhile, Ina, seven years before having slain Kenwolf, to whom Florent gives the addition of Clito, which is given usually to none but persons of the royal blood, and the fourth year after having overthrown and slain Albright, another Clito, 
driven from Taunton to the South Saxons for aid, and having vanquished also the East Angles in more than one battle, as Malmesbury writes, but does not mention the year, whether to expiate so much blood or infected with the contagious humour of those times, Malmesbury saith that the persuasion of Ethelburga, his wife, went to Rome, and there ended his days. Yet this praise left behind him, to have made good laws, the first of the Saxon laws that remain extant to this day, and to his kinsman Edelard bequeathed the crown, no less than the whole monarchy of England and Wales. For Ina, if we believe a digression in the laws of Edward the Confessor, was the first king crowned of both English and British subjects since the entrance of the Saxons, of the British by means of his second wife, who was some way related to Cadwallader, the last king of Wales, which I should not have noted, as it appears to me to be unlikely, but for the place in which I found it. Note, Bede, post-Christ 731, return to text. After Ina, by a surer author, Ethelbald, king of Mercia, commanded all the provinces on this side the Humber with their kings. The Picts were in league with the English, the Scots were peaceable within their bounds, and of the Britons, part were under their own government, and part subject to the English. In which peaceful state of the land, many in Northumberland, both nobles and commons, laying aside the exercise of arms, betook them to the cloister. And not content so to do at home, many in the days of Ina, clerks and laics, men and women, hastening to Rome in herds, thought themselves nowhere sure of eternal life till they were cloistered there. Thus representing the state of things in this island, Beda surceases to write, out of whose writings chiefly has been gathered, since the Saxons' arrival, such an imperfect account of their actions as hath been here delivered, which is but a scattered story picked out here and there with some trouble and tedious work from among his many legends of visions and miracles, which toward the latter end of it is so bare of civil matters that what can be thence collected may seem to be a calendar rather than a history, being taken up for the most part with a succession of kings and computation of years, and even these uninteresting particulars are hard to be reconciled with the Saxon annals. Their actions that we read of were most commonly wars, but for what cause waged, or by what counsels carried on, no care was had to let us know, whereby their strength and violence we understand, but of their wisdom, reason, or justice, little or nothing. The rest treating of superstition and monastical affectation, kings, one after another, leaving their kingly charge to run their heads fondly into a monk's cowl, which leaves us uncertain whether Beda was wanting to his matter or his matter to him. Yet from hence to the Danish invasion it will be worse with us when we are destitute of Beda, left only to obscure and blockish chronicles, whom Malmesbury and Huntingdon, who neither they nor we had better authors of those times, ambitious to adorn the history, make no scruple oft-times, I doubt, to interline with conjectures and surmises of their own. But rather than imitate these writers, I shall choose to represent the truth quite naked, though as lean as a plain journal. Yet William of Malmesbury must be acknowledged, both for style and judgment, 
to be by far the best writer of them all. But what labor is to be endured in turning over volumes of rubbish and the rest? Florence of Worcester, Huntingdon, Simeon of Durham, Hoveden, Matthew of Westminster, and many others of obscure note with all their monarchisms, is a penance to think. Yet these are our only registers, transcribers one after another for the most part, and sometimes worthy enough for the things they register. This travail, rather than not know at once what may be known of our ancient story, sifted from fables and impertinences, I voluntarily undergo, and to save others if they please the like unpleasing labor, except those who take pleasure to be all their lifetime raking the foundations of old abbeys and cathedrals. But to my task now, as it befalls, End of Book 4, Part 2 of The History of Britain by John Milton Recording by Thomas Copeland